Yeah, yeah I was so like, I'm mad. Going <laughs> good. That's good. There's a lot to be mad about. Yeah. Always. No, but I yeah. was like going through all this shit prepping for this one. I was like, man, we take one week and do an interview instead of the regular episode, which everyone should fucking listen to, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like one of the best episodes we've done. So even if you don't usually like our interviews, please listen to that episode. Our guest was amazing. But um, just being like, it was just funny thinking like the contrast from when I started and I was like, man, it might be difficult to find stories to do an episode every week. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, in fact, the opposite problem. <laughs> well, and it I mean, w- almost feels like we're getting better reporting or at the very least more reporting because we right. were noticing that there was that ramp up. Actually, at the beginning of the show, we talked about how we were seeing the ramp up in labor actions. And maybe it was just because we started looking into it at that point. But even now, and maybe we're just better at researching it now, but it's it's all over the place. There, there's no, so no. many things are going on. I think since we started the show, definitely there has been an uptick in interest in unions. I think that the 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 relationship with Amazon has probably had a lot to do with that. Like unions weren't really such a hot political topic, but uh, I think a lot of people who were maybe like you know, mushier kind of wishy-washy liberal. They thought that Joe Biden was going to be this like sick union president and he absolutely <laughs> hasn't been. So oh, I think really? there has been like an, uh, an uptick in interest and in people being critical about like, okay, wait, where is the state of the American working class right now? And like, what are the movements on the ground that are trying to make the situation better? Right. Well, and I mean, COVID has just made shit Yeah, that's so exactly bad. what I was going to go to. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, COVID. the pandemic isn't over. It's actually, if in, in certain ways, it's worse. Uh, right. And, like, it's not going away. I mean, the, the pharmaceutical companies are excited for it to become endemic. They're like, oh, look at all the boosters we're going to get to supply. Look at all of this money we're going to make from this crisis. They're like, right. it's like, it, I mean, and and, you know... Uh, listen to our our episodes on the nature of the state because we're gonna uh, in this next week or two where we're gonna be getting into this but like i mean the pharmaceutical companies are part of the state they are part of the reason that they dictate health and health outcomes in our country they have a huge amount of control on whether or not anyone even gets care so yeah and i I don't want to we can get more into that in those episodes. I, we should <laughs> we should do the episode that we're gonna do. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to an episode of Work Stoppage. This is your number one show that covers worker news. Uh, And we're here with all three of the main hosts. And we're going to follow up with the Frito-Lay workers who have ended their 20-day strike nearly three weeks. Hundreds of Frito-Lay employees in Topeka, Kansas, have ratified a revised contract on Saturday, addressing what union leaders had previously described as a diminished quality of life stemming from work conditions, including long hours, forced overtime, and stagnating wages. The 20-day strike marked the first at the plant in its decades of operation. So huge congratulations to these Frito-Lay workers. Uh, and yet another uh, bit of evidence, if you needed more, that strikes simply do work. They're, one of, they're probably the most effective tool workers have. 
Right. And to remember about this, uh, originally the union itself had said that the workers should just accept the contract and that the company said right. that they weren't going to deal with the workers because the union higher-ups said that, you know, we we're supposed to take this contract. Well, then the workers are like, well, no, actually, this is these are our work conditions. We are the rank and file. We're the union. We're the ones who make the say here. And that was really cool to see. Though I do think that the, the wins that they got were slightly diminished because of that that complicity from the the union higher ups in in like you know almost in support of management yeah but they did manage to eliminate so-called suicide shifts which we talked about before and which the company refused to even acknowledge that that was language that was used on the floor uh so that is a huge milestone for them uh because those are brutal and inhumane yeah like I saw this specific strike was getting uh, starting to get a decent amount of coverage right before it finished from more mainstream places. And we've seen because of how, you know, ridiculously awful the work conditions were like, you know, people working 80 plus hours a week, the, the story about somebody dying on the line and them not stopping production. And like, I'm, I'm glad that the, the workers like were able to get, you know, get rid of these suicide shifts. And, and the new contract also has a, uh, 4% wage increases for basically every employee uh, over mm-hmm. the two-year contract. And that's good, but like... Is that four years? A, is that 4% a year of, for two years, or is that 2% every year? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not it, sure. It looks, they, like two, it looks like 4% spread out over two years hmm. from yeah. the wording. I mean, there's a lot of vagary in this article, and even the language from the company is kind of disheartening because they said something like... Union uh, Frito-Lay owned by PepsiCo said the union representing the workers will have additional opportunities for input on staffing and overtime, which is like anytime there's three qualifying words in front of something, it means that you're not really going to be given any input over that. Yeah. And and like, I don't ever want to sound like I'm like, you know, poo-pooing like getting real gains out of a strike. It's, you know, a vital thing to do. I'm not trying to take a super ultra left position here or anything and say they should have struck until they, you know, took over the factory, which would have been rad, Mm -hmm. but not a realistic outcome. Right. But the fact that it took a nearly three week long strike to not even get down to an eight hour day, a 40 hour work week, Right, uh, like the, a, a wage increase that matches inflation. Right, like this <laughs> is just getting them a one guaranteed day off a week, which I know a lot of folks, especially if like you have in, are in a more precarious job, don't even have that. But like that, I think it. I'm glad these folks like actually had the courage to go out on strike and to stay out and fight for almost three weeks, which is a long ass time to not be getting paid. Um, so yeah. this is not a criticism of the workers. It's more of, I feel like, an indictment of how fucking awful the conditions have gotten in this country that, like, they had to do this big of a strike just to get down to a six-day work week. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, that and they had to sucks. defy their own union leadership as well, who was yeah. urging them to accept a contract that wouldn't even have given them these provisions so you have to imagine that there is a high le- high degree of institutional complicity along the way, which is not really the workers' fault. But right, it does no. fall to them to do shit like this, to go on these strikes against the advisement of union leadership Absolutely. just to secure what seem like bare minimum fucking gains. 
what what I think that I also saw was the fact that the the union is clearly not organizing these workers in a rank and file way. That's really important because I mean we saw, uh, at least I saw uh, some memes going around. It's like Frito Lay workers got their unions, uh, scabs go home, and I'm like, well, I mean, I know it's not entirely possible to keep scabs out, but maybe maybe they could have done a little bit more to keep the scabs out. You right. know? Yeah. No, I, I mean it can be really difficult. Yeah, and like we, they had a statement here from from the, uh, I believe, yeah, the the union's international president uh, of the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers international union, BCTGM, who, who said that the the workers quote have shown the world that union working people can stand up against the largest food companies in the world and claim victory for themselves, their families, and their communities. And I do think that you can say that about the workers themselves who actually went on strike. I, I, I agree right. with that, and I'm, I'm definitely behind that. But, like, these folks, as, as, as you've been saying, they, they need more institutional support from, their, from, like, the head of their union. Like, the, I, the words are nice, but, like, when they are the ones who have to drag the union kicking and screaming onto the picket line just to be able to get a six-day, like, a week work, like, I feel like yeah, there, there's there's some need for some real upsurge in rank yeah. and file democracy and taking like more worker control of the union, right? If mm-hmm. that's the situation we're getting into, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess in uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say in international news, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, in a place that gonna, should be its own country, right? Yes. We're gonna talk a little bit about some uh, Puerto Rico truck work trucking workers who have gone on strike well i guess that actually that strike has completed um but but they went on strike for uh, i think it was cl- close to that same kind of like 30 day or was well, like 30 days or something like that i don't know they've been well, on strike for a little while yeah so so this strike is is interesting because there's a few different groups involved so right. so what this uh, this story is about is specifically you know puerto rico which is a U.S. colony, and we'll we'll get into that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, truckers went on strike there in some cases for well over a month. Uh, basically, there's there's one large union that represents truckers, but it doesn't represent all of the truckers, all the logistics workers. There are additionally a whole bunch of smaller and independent truck drivers unions, and and what this is all stemming from is that these truck drivers on the island and that's basically as as with the united states that's how goods get to pretty much everywhere in in right. the united states and especially in puerto rico because there's there there isn't you know a real built-up rail infrastructure on the island so everything gets trucked from the the international ports to wherever it needs to go so the truckers are like they are here in the u.s an absolutely vital part of the infrastructure of the island but these truck drivers hadn't gotten an increase in the minimum like pay rate for their uh, transportation costs in almost 30 years. Jesus. And, fu- and finally, they had gotten through you know lobbying and, and protesting and efforts by drivers to finally get an increase uh, of the, the minimum uh, mileage and tonnage rates of 35%, which was approved in December by the Puerto Rican Transportation Bureau. And and this was the first increase of any kind, except for a very small cost of living adjustment in 2005, that these truck drivers were going to get. And considering that it's been 30 years, I guarantee you it should have been even quite a bit higher than that right. 35%. And they definitely right. got that win, right? 
Well, <laughs> we'll see. Because <laughs> that's the thing is, so this is where we get into the strange situation of Puerto Rico's colonial governance by the United States. So the, the, the Transportation Bureau agreed to this 35% fee increase in December, but the uh, Puerto Rican Chamber of Commerce sued to stop that because the rate increase was objected to by the, the Financial Oversight and Management Board, which huh. is part of, of this uh, colonial junta, essentially, that is was set up under uh, President Obama's last year in office as a way of handling Puerto Rico's debt crisis at the time. Because Puerto Rico is not a sovereign territory since it's controlled by the United States. It doesn't and has never, like since the U.S. took it over from Spain, hasn't ever really had total sovereignty over their financial situation. And so when the island found itself under you know, a remounting debt that was going to be unable to repay in 2016, they attempted to go through the sort of bankruptcy proceedings you would expect people to go through. But unfortunately, because they don't have you know, national sovereignty, the United States government got to say, well, you know, we, I mean, we can't let you decide how you're going to do that. We have to decide that. And yeah. so there's this board called uh, Promesa, which is just appointed by the president this seven-person board that gets to decide if anything the government wants to spend money on is okay. So, like, the, even with, you know, the the fake nature of, of bourgeois democracy in the United States, the people of Puerto Rico don't even have that. Like, they can vote for their governor, but if the governor and their, you know, their local legislators decide to do something that the PROMESA board does not like, they can just veto it in the same way that you would see like British governors general just vetoing things all the time in, in their various colonies. And that's basically what happened here was the, because the U S appointed oversight board said that, you know, this 35% rate increase was, was not going to be in the, the interests of the economy and, and, <laughs> and making sure that, you know, things run quote unquote efficiently on the Island they said, no, you can't have this. And a, and a court on Puerto Rico said, well, you know, this is they have the control over this. And so they ruled in favor of the Puerto Rican Chamber of Commerce in April and denied the rate increase and just said, no, no, it's got to go back to the the same exact minimum rate that it's been for 30 years. And that's what prompted these strikes. And those, as as you were alluding to, some drivers, because there's the big truck drivers union, but there are also some 40,000 independent truckers in Puerto Rico, and large groups of those formed into independent unions and collectives and had been on strike since mid-June, which had already started to impact by the time like um, the, the big unions started to get involved, had already started to impact you know, prices of, of you know, general goods because you had less stuff being able to move around on the island. You had slower circulation, leads to higher prices. And, but what brought this to a head was eventually the largest truck drivers union, which was the truckers broad front um, that they finally decided to go on strike back on the 21st. And that really brought things to a head. There, there was a quote in this article from the militant from one of the independent truck drivers who'd been on strike since June 14th, who said, quote, we often have to choose between buying a tire for our trucks and shopping for the basic needs of our families. Fuel's going up, price of tires, taxes, tolls keep rising, but not what we get paid. And like, 
This is exactly like how much because we, we've talked about, you know, the, the plight of truck driver, like owner operators right. before, like mm-hmm. in the U.S. And this is it's the exact same shit, except you've got that added layer of colonial domination on top of it where you can't even have like the pretension of any democratic control over this. And it, so I think it's it's totally understandable. I'm surprised these folks hadn't gone on strike sooner. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, like you mentioned that they're like tolls. I mean, why are these why do these roads have tolls? These are like it's just additional exploitation of this of this settler colony. The reason why they're in, in, in all this debt is because the United States won't do anything to alleviate that debt. I mean, right. they're, they're, it's actually purposefully they're purposefully kept in debt in order to keep them in servitude. Like that is yeah. that is how the United States works. It's a main factor in the colonial structure. So, and so, they also seem to have a very unorthodox and kind of difficult to understand employment situation in general, which is that they're driving for private companies around Puerto Rico, but their wages are determined by the state government and. In in this relationship, I wasn't really able to suss out who their like direct boss technically is. Do they work directly for the state? It it seems to vary quite a bit. Like they okay. do. Te- it, it seems like they tend to be employed by private firms. What this rate though is is basically like a minimum wage. Um, okay, it's so, like a wage mandate, right? And it's like if like whatever your company is doing, you have to pay this minimum rate whether you're hiring a contract driver or whether you, you know, actually have your own directly employed drivers, right. this is the minimum rate that you can pay them. Uh, you know, if you're making, if you're making them accountable for the costs of, you know, upkeep and maintenance on the truck, you have to pay this minimum in order to make sure they can continue, you know, to live. So the <laughs> and, driver's and so hands were really forced. Okay, so the driver's hands were really forced here to do something very general that affected the entire island because, right. like, if they petitioned only against a handful of these companies, it wouldn't have really accomplished anything for the truckers broadly. Right, right. so this, we're saying trucker general strike. Is that what we're saying? I mean, that's more <laughs> or less kind, kind of, of what it is. Yeah, like, basically, um, on July 21st, which was, you know, after hundreds if not thousands of independent truckers had already been on strike about this for a month the the truckers broad front the biggest truck drivers union on on, in the country went on strike and the head of their union uh said that quote the strike will be permanent until the board sits down with us and we reach an agreement which he told to uh, a local radio station wkq there and and you know uh it turns out that was uh, the thing that the the state was pretty worried about because once you had the biggest group of truckers who again supply everything basically to everywhere around the island two days after they went on strike the government just basically cried uncle and despite you know the the colonial imposition by the u.s congress the governor basically just came back to the table and said Okay, p- please go back to work. We'll reapprove the 35% increase. And they specifically mentioned in this statement that they are going to basically protect the truckers if the state gets sued by the US government for doing this, which Interesting. is probably pretty likely to happen. <laughs> right. Um and 
they specifically said the the governor this is governor pierre lucy said quote we will begin an immediate process to achieve a new regulation that reflects the needs of all sectors and safeguards the well-being of our people we have focused on giving puerto rico certainly uh, certainty by addressing this situation promptly and prudently and so the thing that I just wanted to really point out here, and obviously, because we've talked before about the the power that logistics workers, truckers, you know, port workers have, and this strike is obviously a, a demonstration of that. But I, I really wanted to bring to folks' attention, you know, like, when we talk about Puerto Rico being a colony of the U.S., like, it's very standard colonial mechanisms like this that are in yes. place. Cause, because, you know, you can look at things like how a lot of Latin America, American countries are neo-colonies of the U.S. And that's a bit more of a slightly more hands-off. It's a bit more difficult to see the, the means of control sometimes. But this is essentially the U.S. imposing like IMF structural adjustment program type austerity on what is this, like ostensibly a part of the, you know, a part of our country. Cause you right. know, like Puerto Ricans all have, you know, us citizenship and, and can all travel to the U S without a visa and supposedly, you know, are supposed to be treated the same as, as us citizens, but it have absolutely nothing, no, no real no democracy rights. at all. Well, and this is not foreign to the people of Puerto Rico. I mean, right. this promesa, the oversight, uh, U.S. Congress appointed board that tells them what they can and can't have is known colloquially in Puerto Rico as La Junta, right. which I mean, it, yeah, it basically it is. is like a military. It's an economic junta, not a military one, but like that's it amounts to the same thing. It's the U.S. exercising unilateral colonial control over the island. Yeah, and and so like I would see. During, you know, when Trump was in office, there was a, a small amount, a decent amount of criticism of Trump's handling of Puerto Rico with relation to the, the hurricane that caused so much damage there. Although very little of it was really focused on what the government was mostly doing there. It was mostly focused on the terrible FEMA response, which was awful right. and led to the deaths of far more people than than uh, would otherwise have happened. But I saw very little criticism except from explicitly left press of the real project that was being worked on when, when Trump was in office in Puerto Rico, which was doing a classic disaster capitalism and using the destruction caused by the hurricane as a way to then privatize specifically their electricity system there, but also, you know, as many formerly state-run um, industries and sectors as they possibly could. And that has only continued right. under Biden and it started under Obama. So like, this is yet another example of like, this has very little to do with which party is in power. Like this colonial dominance and the oppression of the people of Puerto Rico is a bipartisan agreement. And, and you really don't see like much of any news about it. Like I had to really dig to find information on this strike. It wasn't reported in any of the major press here. And yet like, it clearly was in a major uh, shock to the the government, even the local government of Puerto Rico, because they only had to go on strike for two days to get the the governor to say, "Okay, fine. You know what? We'll we will fight the the colonial occupation board in court for you if we ha we have to. Just please go back to work. Yeah. And please keep driving food around the island. And and so like, I right. really just want to impress on on our listeners like the colonialism isn't over the u.s yeah. is still doing it right now and and despite you know what sort of whitewashing we may see about the treatment of people in puerto rico in 
in the media, like they are, com- their island is completely under the thumb of a government organization they have absolutely no control over. Right. Yeah, I mean, and- Mao, Mao was right when he said power grows from the barrel of a gun, but I think another place power grows is the back of a truck. That's I mean, right. I've seen yeah. an incredible amount of power loaded on and off of trucks in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> on the on the thought of like the the Trump thing. I mean, one of the lines in the first article that is is kind of a part of our collection of articles on this piece is uh, one of the 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 subheadlines in here is the selling the island piece by piece is literally like talking about the privatization of the public like infrastructure and that it, that's it's just a another product of the like the fascist moves in our country to to like spread that sort of of awful capitalist fascism and and. I don't know, like, I'm glad that these truckers are out here doing this, but we, I don't know, there's got to be some way to hold solidarity from, from afar as well, because, like, th- their, their situation is, un- is, is ridiculous. Like, the, I, I guess maybe I don't have as many words as I thought I did on this topic, but I just thought it was really important to bring up that, that there's literally, like, privatization in the, like, classic sense of the word privatization going on in Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's it's a level of exploitation that is like a whole nother level beyond what we already see, you know, here in the, in the continental U.S. And like we as you know, as people in the, the rest of the, the United States, like we really have a responsibility to uphold like the right of self-determination for these folks. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, there have been votes before on whether or not Puerto Rico should be a state, whether it should be independent. But the U.S. government is never going to, like, willingly acknowledge the right of, of the people of Puerto Rico to separate themselves from, you know, its colonial exploitation. And it's it's up to, you know, workers here in the U.S. to, to show solidarity with those folks and, and that they should be able to control their own destiny and not have to have this sort of insane, like, 18th century style, like, colonial autocracy that they're living under. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they don't have representation in Congress. They don't have. And not that I want them to. I want them to be fucking independent. But like we it's kind of like what you were gesturing towards earlier. Like the United States is never going to give them independence, nor will they ever admit them to statehood. You know, the right. only thing that is ever going to stop that is a is an actual destruction of the imperialist machine in the United States uh, at its yeah, and- at its core. And there have been upsurges like we saw like over the last few years, there have been big like general strike type uprisings against the local government. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that sort of energy is is really inspiring to see and people can I think we can take a lot of lessons from that. But like like a lot of situations we saw, especially like right after World War Two, if you don't kick out, you know, the colonial oppressor, there's only so much you can do with like the local government and and so like that's where i think it it behooves uh leftists and and workers in the united states to vehemently support like the right of the people of puerto rico to right to you know take control of their own lives yeah yeah because with the situation with the way puerto rico is governed is just like an absolute tragedy uh through and through and speaking of absolute tragedies through and through uh we have some very grim news from gainesville georgia uh, where earlier this year, a liquid nitrogen leak at a poultry processing plant in Georgia killed six workers. And the really grim and dismal news is that the company 
is going to be forced to pay what will, I'm sure, amount to less than a million dollars in fines. Uh, and I this just gives me flashbacks to that moment, I think it was during the Iraq or, or Afghanistan war, when the U.S. military actually calculated the value of a human life. They were like, it's a little over yeah. $3 million. And uh, I see that the inflation rate on human lives is going out of control as well. Um, because yeah. six people dying and 11 people being hospitalized is not something that you handle with a slap on the wrist fine to a major corporation. Yeah, we so we, we had covered this story uh, a little after it happened a, a couple of months ago. And essentially, like they mentioned in here, the, the U.S. Chemical Safety Board previously said that a that both a newly installed conveyor belt system in this plant because this is a food processing plant specifically that handled like frozen chicken uh, mm -hmm. so both the conveyor belt and a liquid nitrogen system malfunction and osha has now finished their investigation this is a foundation food group uh incorporated and had found that they failed to implement any of the safety procedures necessary to prevent the nitrogen leak or to equip workers responding to it with the knowledge and equipment that could have saved their lives and they so they cited you know Foundation Food Group, which owns the plant, for 26 violations with a proposed fine of five hundred ninety-five thousand dollars, five hundred ninety-five thousand four hundred seventy-four dollars. And then several of the other subcontractors that worked on this specific installation had you know a myriad of other small fines. Again, the whole, and that's so the total of all of those adds up to about a million dollars. And as we've as you mentioned, as we've covered before with. All plenty of OSHA stories. Like OSHA mm -hmm. likes to make these big announcements. Of, oh, we're we're coming out here. We're fighting for the workers. We're gonna do, we're gonna really hit these abusive companies. We're gonna hit them with this million dollar fine. And then six months down the road, after these companies' lawyers have you know argued with OSHA, this will get reduced to maybe fifty thousand dollars or something. Yeah, it's gonna be mm -hmm. a, an absolutely paltry sum. It's gonna be less than somebody who was found guilty of something trivial in civil court would end up paying as a fucking fine and you know there's a system there's a systematic failing of the employing company and of the osha here to enforce any kind of like you know regional or professional standards on how to handle something like a nitrogen leak which is incredibly deadly i mean three of these workers walked right into the room without any safety precautions to try and handle the leak and were immediately killed uh and then two more entered the room later and died and one died on their way to the hospital. Some of these people being as young as 28 years old. So it's yeah. just like, you know, if you can't, I hate to do the whole internal logic of capitalism thing, but it's the same idea as like, if you can't afford to pay employees enough to hire people in a post COVID economy, then you should just shut down. If you can't adequately train your employees to not throw their lives away on the job site, trying to fix something where they should be calling in professional help, then you should not be allowed to run a business period. You know? Oh yeah. This yeah, place like, this should be shut down. Absolutely. No doubt. Mm -hmm. Cause, cause that's the thing. It's like, look, I understand like, in accident true accidents do happen there there sure. are occasionally incidents where you know no one person is at fault something couldn't be foreseen this is not one of those cases and that's what makes me so fucking mad about it because like this is not a case where there was an unforeseeable manufacturing defect in a pipe or something and that burst and everybody was trained, but it was just such a dangerous environment that, that not, you know, we couldn't have foreseen anything. This was a failure by 
every company involved with it. There was no training mm-hmm. for any of these people on how they were supposed to handle this situation. The, no, like there was no information given to people on how to handle a nitrogen leak. There was absolute like it was failures at every single level. And these six people are dead and they're dead forever. Like that's not something like that, you know, you can fix with a fucking procedure change. Like, and the fact that the consequence for that is a nominal $1 million fine, which will be reduced, but even if it wasn't, this is for a company that has revenue, I was looking it up, of, of somewhere between seven and $15 million a year and is only being fined $600,000, which will be reduced. So mm-hmm. it, it's like not even 10% of their annual revenue. They're going to go on with this as if nothing happened. I'm sure they will make some minor procedural changes, but there's no impact. No one is being held accountable for this. And, and I just like this, these are the people that were really harmed by this. I just want, I'm Mm going to read the names of the folks that, that, that died from this, which is six workers who died from asphyxia due to, or as a consequence of liquid nitrogen exposure. This is 45 year old Jose DeSouz Elias Cabrera of Gainesville. 35-year-old Corey Allen Murphy of Claremont, 28-year-old Nelly Perez Rafael of Gainesville, 41-year-old Saulo Suarez Bernal of Dawsonville, 38-year-old Victor Velez of Gainesville, and 28-year-old Edgar Vera Garcia of Gainesville. And that's just the people that died. And, and you mentioned there was about a dozen others who were hospitalized from nitrogen exposure. And these people's families are never going to see these people again. And this company is going to roll on as if nothing ever fucking happened. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the shit that makes me so mad about these OSHA stories. It's not that, like, oh, like, you know, that if there was some proper amount of money that, like... It's not that, you know, the victims' families aren't getting enough money to help from that, although, of course, they should be given more more restitution than than whatever they're going to get out of this. Oh, yeah, and this isn't the restitution. This is a fine that goes into making sure OSHA can keep giving out shitty fines. Right. Yeah, and and to, to have them come out and give this quote that they have, to have the gall to say that six people are dead, and they quote, this horrible tragedy could have been prevented had the employers taken the time to use and teach their workers the importance of safety precautions. (laughs) <laughs> said the uh, region, OSHA regional administrator, Kurt Petermeyer. Uh, instead, six workers died as a result of their employer's failure to follow necessary procedures and to comply with required safety and health standards. We hope other industry employers learn from this terrible incident and comply with safety and health requirements no, to prevent similar no, incidents. No, the, the next part of that line is supposed to be, and so they are being charged with murder. <laughs> right. Like, look, that the, the right thing to do in this case is to seize every company involved and charge the executives with manslaughter because that's what yeah. fucking happened. Like, that's, that's the right. definition of that crime. It's like it was negligent homicide by means of, you know, trying to skimp on safety precautions to save money that killed people. Like, the, the idea that that should not be a criminal offense and that that should instead be some sort of a fine it gets right to the heart of how, like, the state is completely captured by capitalist industry. And the idea that you're going to see an improvement from any other company involved in this industry because of these fines is a fucking joke. Like, yeah. we hope that other industry employers will learn from this. Why would they? There's the no reason to. So There's small. no lesson. There's no lesson. The, the lesson to be learned from this for those companies is if you do something like this, 
you'll get a fine and that's it. And if you have good lawyers, the fine will be very small. Like that's the lesson companies are going to take from that. There's, this is right. not going to do anything to make anyone safer, which is, is another one of the things where you, you'll see people talk about like, you know, oh, well, you know, we needed unions at one point, but now we have organizations like OSHA out there to protect workers. And don't ever yeah, let anybody right. tell you that because that's fucking bullshit because OSHA doesn't do anything to protect anybody except to protect the government by putting this fig leaf out there that there's some sort of regulation. When, as you can see here, like absolutely nothing of any substance has been done to these companies. There's no reason for any of them to fundamentally change anything. I'm, I'm sure they'll rewrite a few procedures and stuff and hand wave this shit away, but like nothing is going to fundamentally change in this industry because of this. So I, I would only expect to see this exact sort of thing happen more often. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, and I mean, there, it's all the, a continuation of the increasing like proletarianization of all kinds of specialized labor. Like if you can't train people to handle nitrogen or you can't you're Amazon, you can't hire people who have, you know, the necessary professional skills to work in a warehouse safely and competently. And you don't want to fork out the money for any of this training. You're not gonna because OSHA and these other organizations aren't doing anything to fucking incentivize you or punish you into doing it. And mm -hmm. like, it's just going to continue across every sector. Like I see this all the time with jobs that I'm applying for where it's like, you want me to do relatively specialized, fairly dangerous work that I've never done before in my life. And you're more than happy to give me the position for like 12 fucking dollars an hour. Meanwhile, a lot of these jobs are positions where you should have probably months, if not years of training, and you should be making over 20 something dollars an hour for the cost yeah. to your own safety that you're putting yourself, you know, that you're paying in yeah. going to work. And the expectation of these families is to file a lawsuit against this German company and as like a some sort of as like a personal lawsuit and suddenly it's now on the on the onus of these people who have just had a great tragedy befall them to go into the the, the court system to try the international court system nonetheless to try and get any sort of restitution for this. And and that's it, it's just absolutely fucking ridiculous. OSHA hasn't done shit for these workers yeah like this is and i guess to I, I mean to not just you know vent my outrage about this story and to try and i guess channel it in a semi-productive yeah. way like Tell this is exactly yeah. why everyone needs a union and you need a union like more than ever because like this sort of shit it, and it, all the working conditions we you know we talk about that i'm sure our listeners all experience working under covid the government is not going to do anything to protect workers in any of those situations. The only people that can protect us and, and our, our fellow workers during any of these you know, dangerous work conditions, during a fucking global pandemic, is by leveraging our collective power against these companies. Like They're not mm -hmm. afraid of a million-dollar fine from OSHA that will get knocked down, and even if it didn't, they could pay it no problem. But they are right. afraid of not being able to fucking run their plant because all the workers decided, hey, you know, we don't have any safety training on this, so fuck that. We're not working on this until you accede to our demands to make the workplace a, a safer place to work, which is exactly yeah. you know what led to the formation of a lot of the biggest and most powerful unions we have in, in this mm -hmm. country, or at least you know were powerful at one point like you know that's like that's where like you know the mine workers of america came from that's where a lot of the early uh, like big like steel workers unions were coming from because of the fact that companies if they can get away with it will just you know run people through a thresher and not care about it and and it's only by banding together under an, a union that we can actually have 
leverage real power to force companies to make things safe. And and, I, and stories like this are, I think, some of the st- most stark examples of why you know, we need unions more than ever. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I, and we're, we're, we see things like maybe you don't work with liquid nitrogen at your job, but maybe there's a freezer. And you know how many times we've covered mold on this podcast? I mean, there's also a ton of other building materials around the, the world that are causing people cancer that, that are, are like pervasive. I mean, the work conditions, you might not even know the thing that you are at risk for. Because they're not going to take care of it. They're not going to tell you about it. Because if they told you about it, you might actually start caring about your work conditions more. And maybe you would form a union. And that's why you need to preemptively form a union regardless. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways. So, that story was very infuriating. Yeah, let's um, do another. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of the need for a union, but also the complete bankruptcy of our fucking government. Um. This is a really unfortunate story. I mean, it's it's one that's kind of along lines I'm sure people are familiar with. You know, folks know that big companies in, in the U.S. love to close down their plants and, and move them overseas. And then the government, instead of blaming the company, blames, you know, other people in other countries, blames immigrants and all this sort of deflectionist bullshit to try and right. get away from the real problem. And what this story is, is a story out of uh, In These Times, and, and this is about... A pharmaceutical plant in Morgantown, West Virginia, which just shut down uh, at the end of last week. This was the largest, I believe, a generic pharmaceutical plant still operating inside the United States. This is owned by a company called Viatris. And they just decided, well, you know, we could make a lot more money if we moved our production to India and, you know, told all of our unionized workers to fuck off. Yeah, that's and, what they did. And that's what they did. And, and so... This is a plant that employed 1,500 people, including 800 folks unionized with the United Steelworkers. And and the case that I think makes this especially tragic is not just the loss of those 1,500 jobs, which is you know devastating for this entire community and, and the families of all these people, but the fact that the 800 folks unionized uh, in USW Local 8957 uh, were the entire membership of that local, which means that with this plant now moving, that is essentially going to force this entire local to close, which again is is a huge blow. To, like that, this is the sort of stuff when you talk, you hear like you know politicians on both sides of the aisle talk about how we're going to bring jobs back, or you know we we want to rejuvenate the Rust Belt. Yet at the mean, all this the fucking meanwhile, this shit is still happening, and they're not doing anything about it. Oh, they they love it because now they're get, they're getting to destroy these locals and like any sort of momentum that this local might have had. I mean, like maybe they're able to organize a little bit independently without like the USW local, and maybe the USW will be good and keep that local like with those people involved to like create some sort of collective action in their in their area, especially for some sort of like mutual aid for these people who've just lost their jobs but but i mean they're the company and the government they don't give a damn about this local in fact if anything it's good for them that they have just just take they've hamstrung these workers and their rights yeah well and i mean on a related note like everybody's favorite dipshit senator joe manchin apparently uh came down and expressed his complete fucking ignorance about the severity of this situation uh because he his statement 
where he says, for months I have engaged in conversations with Viatris, Monongalia County, the Morgantown Area Partnership, and local and state leaders to find a solution that protects every single job is obviously just fucking bullshit. And everybody from the union said that he only gave them two fucking minutes of his time. This dipshit was down there for a photo op to read a fucking statement and to peace out. You know, Joe Manchin doesn't give half a fucking shit about workers any more than uh, Viantic or whatever this Viatris, this idiotic company does. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the things that is, you know, extra insidious about this specific thing that ties back to Manchin, because like obviously Manchin is is, you know, every even quote unquote progressives favorite punching bag. And he for good reason, he sucks. He's fucking awful. But like it the specific aspect about this that makes it so shitty for him is something that it, you can you can find exactly this ex- same sort of situation with pretty much any member of the United States Congress. And, and what I'm specifically talking about is that this company, Viatris... Yeah, like, why is Joe Manchin here? Yeah, so he this thought it was called Viagra. To, it used hey, to be called <laughs> Mylan, which is a company that folks may have heard of from uh, when they... Uh, uh, jacked the price of EpiPens way the fuck up because they had a monopoly over their production, despite the fact that they cost almost nothing to make and are, you know, vital life-saving devices for thousands and thousands of people. And uh, the former CEO of Mylan up until just recently was Joe Manchin's daughter. Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, who, after the company merged with uh, another company called Upjohn. She got a $20 million bonus and peaced out. And, Jesus Christ. And meanwhile, you know, the now these 1,500 people are shit out of luck because this company wants to give $20 million bonuses to its executives to move production over to India, where I'm sure the people who will be working in the new facility are going to be paid absolute dog shit wages and treated like absolute like you know fucking disposable cogs as as Mm -hmm. as every form of you know neo-colonial extractive production treats its workers yeah Uh, oh and will the price of any medicine or epipens that they produce go down not a fucking chance they'll probably go up i also think that this is so interesting because if we remember back uh when we were talking about the production of vaccines across the world they uh, there was all these sorts of people saying oh well we can't these people can't do medicines they can't produce the extreme vaccines these these sorts of technologies and yet here we see literally a pharmaceutical company being outsourced to india directly and with no second thoughts saying that like these these things can be done there i mean i i think that it just at least in that in that small example gives a little bit of a lie to the idea that that these places are some sort of under underdeveloped to the point where everybody's dumb and can't do medicine or some bullshit like that 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 it's constantly pervasive from the the pharmaceutical ruling class and the state and the united states ruling class uh that is just paternal bullshit and and because they can clearly they can send all of these jobs over there and do all of this manufacturing over there but oh but now we can't do the vaccines because that would be too much power in the hands of the working class of of the global south you know yeah no absolutely and like it it just shows like the complete devotion to to neoliberalism of, of both parties with the idea that you know we can hack away 
at the working class of this country, you know, over and over and over again. And if we just put out a media strategy, everything will be fine because like, you know, you, they had, they mentioned in this article that the were the West Virginia state legislature passed multiple resolutions calling on state leaders to keep the plant open. And in June, the white house issued a report calling for, you know, maintaining a robust domestic pharmaceutical supply chain, which is supposedly, according to them, quote, essential for the national security and economic prosperity of the United States, which is a whole bunch of nice sounding words to to put out in a press release to make people stop thinking because they said all this shit. And then they didn't do anything. They didn't do yeah. a goddamn thing to keep this from happening. And and it, it would be the easiest thing in the world because, like, for instance, one of the things that was done, you know, uh, in very limited amounts um, was they used at the beginning of the pandemic was there was some use of, like, I believe it's called the Defense Production Act, mm-hmm. which basically allows the state to direct un- under situations of emergency allows the uh, direction of private companies to produce things necessary for national security. And what is more vital during a pandemic than a big ass pharmaceutical plant? Like, so the idea that like any of these resolutions or executive orders calling for committees or, you know, reports talking about how we totally intend to, you know, defend our, our national jobs. It's all bullshit. It's like, you have to only look at the material at like, actual material things done by these people, which is always nothing because they're in the pockets of the companies that, that are doing this shit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do we want to move to, Oh God. To yeah, Blizzard. Speaking of total yeah, I just realized complicity. Like, we've, we've been, it's we've done episodes episode. like this before where we don't realize that we're getting into some of like the darkest stories before. And I've realized that we've just like, when we hit this one, we're just going to like, this is, yeah, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, as, well, I mean, this we one's interesting. This one, uh, oh, go. I, I just, I just wanted to give a quick hat tip to our friend uh, Lewis, who has been uh, intrepidly posting, uh, keeping us up to date on this in the Discord, I, mm-hmm. I was, which was a big help to me when we were setting Absolutely. this up. Because this has been a very rapidly evolving story over the last week. But yeah, yeah it's kind of interesting. Uh, we're talking about the Blizzard case of misogyny, harassment, and the today removal of the president of the Blizzard side of things. Uh, I don't remember his name exactly, but this has been a really interesting case uh, in regards to podcasting about it because I don't usually get to watch a bunch of gamer news and esports <laughs> channels to do research for the episode. And I did want to remark... It's like when we do sports episodes, too. Like, all of a yeah, sudden, we're yeah, listening well, to, like, sportscasters tell, talk about workers' rights. It's, always, it's a little surprising, but yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, except I don't know a goddamn thing about sports, and I do know a decent amount about Blizzard games. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing has filed a lawsuit against Activision Blizzard, which claims that employees have faced, quote, constant sexual harassment, including groping comments and advances due to a frat boy workplace culture. Uh, and this has been substantiated by a bunch of people who work for Blizzard. This is basically common knowledge at this point that this is the way that Blizzard has been operating. 
Uh, the filing states that, quote, women were subjected to numerous sexual comments and advances, groping and unwanted physical touching and other forms of harassment at the studio. Female employees working for the World of Warcraft team noted that male employees and supervisors would hit on them, make derog derogatory comments about rape, and otherwise engage in demeaning behavior. And, I mean, this isn't really that shocking. I've seen a few people bring up the fact that, like, one of the Blizzard development teams uh, a long time ago was asked about, like, could you, I think this was in 2010, could you make um less sexualized women characters in your games and they were basically laughed out of the room by the development team so you know this isn't something that's uh that's any that's new this has been like an ongoing attitude at the blizzard development offices yeah and the, in, in one aspect of this story that i'm sure will be completely unsurprising to most of our listeners because this is right along a theme that we've definitely covered before uh, this is not like this lawsuit is not coming out of nowhere. There was attempt after attempt after attempt by these these workers to try and work within the company to to address this stuff. They 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 mentioned in the lawsuit that complaints to Activision Blizzard's human resources staff, as well as direct complaints to you know executives and higher ups within the company, were ineffective because quote complaints were treated in a perfunctory and dismissive manner and not kept confidential. Uh, which resulted in the staff who complained being, quote, subjected to retaliation, including but not limited to being deprived of work on projects, unwillingly transferred to different units and selected for layoffs. And yeah, oh HR my gosh. Classic. Is, does not work for you. Right. Yeah. No, like, I mean, like the idea that you would be moved that you would be moved when someone else is the one harassing you is very common. I mean, like, right, that, yeah. that's how they do it because they, they're like, oh, no, we can't, you know, uh, actually make this environment better. Like, th these people need to be gone. And and if you yeah. actually look at some of the statements from the workers, that's a, that's what they're calling for. They're calling to, for the absolute removal of these people to get them out of the out of at least these these jobs and possibly even the industry because yeah. they're 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 serial harassers and, and and there's a there's a whole slew of people at the company that need to be removed just making jay allen brack step down and replacing him with uh jen o'neill and mikey barra and saying like oh okay well that's done and dusted now like that's not even remote that's not even a baby step really towards fixing this because like from all of the reports jay allen brack like uh, he seemed like he wasn't very well liked, but like the big thing about him was that he was just too soft on these guys, these serial harassers, <laughs> which is like, yeah, he probably should be removed. But like there's not only one person in the office who's right. being too soft on serial harassers. Every fucking oh, yeah. person that you work with should be stepping up and saying like, hey, this is completely unfucking acceptable behavior. Well, and I think that that is that leads us really well into. I want to go back just a little bit and look at the timeline of the way that this was all coming out because I think that it kind of tells the story just a little bit better. Because so I think mm -hmm. it was the the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth when the first announcement of the 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 like the the petition, the written letter that the workers at Blizzard Activision had put out uh, to say that this is a problem, we need to face this problem. The company then says. 
well, it's not really a problem. We're, you know, we did it. We, 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 we've already done our work. And then they, the um, workers come back and say, no, absolutely, you have not. And this belittling is actually making us more angry. And then the next day, we hear from Ubisoft workers who have put out their own letter in solidarity with the Activision Blizzard workers saying that they experienced the same thing at, uh, at Ubisoft and that they have had this same sort of issue that also has not been addressed by the company. And suddenly, they're talking about some sort of coalition between the Ubisoft and the Activision Blizzard workers. And I mean, uh, I guess skipping to the end, I'm I'm skipping to the end, but then Blizzard is hiring a union-busting firm. So, Yeah, like, the the company's response to this has been to basically step on every rake that's placed in front of them like every step of the way their response to this has been trash like the as you mentioned when they at, right after the lawsuit was made public blizzard's response was to have one of their executives fran townsend call the claims quote meritless and irresponsible distorted or untrue and factually incorrect or and, or or what is it uh, or out of, or out of context i think was another line yeah like <laughs> what fucking con- what context is going to change this shit like there's no yeah. context in which this stuff is okay like they specifically mentioned in the suit that women of color at the company were particularly vulnerable and uh, that an african american employee who worked on information technology was made by her manager to write a one-page summary of how she would spend time off if if she requested for it, which is a ridiculous Fucked thing to up. ask anyone to do for time off in particular. But they also pointed out no one else was made to do that. Yeah. Right. Hey, on that, you know what? On that thought, don't ever give a reason why you need time off. Yeah. Like, never, yeah. ever put that reason in there. They will always find a way to make it so that you can't get time off next time because it's not as serious or or some sort of bullshit that they're going to try to pull by manipulating your life. Never give, never tell them why you need time off. You te- you say, I need this time. It's personal. That's it. Yeah, well, and Activision, you know, Activision Blizzard has continued to deny this stuff, saying over the past several years and continuing since the initial investigation started, we've made significant changes to address company right. culture and reflect more diversity within our leadership teams, which is a really mealy, <laughs> like, if that sounds familiar, it's because that's the exact same way that the Democrats talk, and it's mm-hmm. how they say, like, look, we're not fucking doing anything, okay? Yeah, we're not like, interested in fixing this. The racism is over because Barack Obama's president is basically that same kind of argument. Right. right, yeah. Well, and it's like, I mean, they're doing the same shit now, or they're like, we don't need to address the the housing crisis. We elected Joe Biden. What more do you want? We're going on vacation. Right. Uh, right. I mean, we we'll we replaced review, the leadership and that is going to just magically solve the problem. Even though the leadership is on Twitter, like the speaker of the house is tweeting like someone should really do something about this. And then the president replies like this with a bunch of pointing <laughs> oh, <yeah>. up emoji. <laughs> meme. Yeah. I should almost add that to our yeah. meme review. I mean, that really happened. Nancy Pelosi posted. Yeah. Um, it was like months ago, but she said something like, if you really want to affect change, write letters to the president. It's like, you are a fucking... You run Congress. Why don't you talk to the fucking president, you stupid motherfucker? (laughs) And for an example of that, just to hark back to a previous story, I looked up the process by which the U.S. imposed that colonial junta on Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. From the day the bill was written and introduced to when it was passed was six weeks to to put this, like, 
this board that has control over everything that happens on that island economically took six weeks and you know yet they can't solve any of the millions of fucking problems that they said they were going to so like this idea of like oh it's just too complicated we don't have the power is complete bullshit but but back to this story back to the yeah activision yeah. blizzard ubisoft uh, as as lena was saying like there has thankfully been quite a response from from the activision blizzard employees where like last wednesday hundreds of employees uh, staged a walkout to protest the things and they specifically mentioned you know problems with the initial response saying that it didn't address uh quote the end of forced arbitration for all employees worker participation in oversight of hiring and promotion policies the need for greater pay transparency to ensure quality and employee selection of a third party to audit hr and company processes, which, you know, uh, and, and they, they have a quote in there that says, today's walkout will demonstrate this is not a one-time event that our leaders can ignore. We will not return to silence. We will not be placated by the same process that led us to this point. And, you know, that combined with, with what the, the Ubisoft workers coming out in solidarity, that, that stuff is, is fucking great. And, and, and that clearly was what, you know, really started to scare Activision Blizzard, which is why they went out and hired Wilmer Hale, which is the same union-busting law firm that Amazon is using to try and keep people from from unionizing. Well, and I think Um, that this should start to scare other... Um, technology companies because we this is not exclusive to gamer bullshit like sure gamers suck oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that one out there and sorry to anyone who, who's oh yeah shout, shout out that, to like, the 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 podcast of labor Kyle who we had on the show while Dan was gone whose podcast is called all gamers are bastards true <laughs> words never have been spoken yeah but but like uh, but in in like technology jobs in general this is what happens I mean this sort of culture is very common even in like startup culture and all that other like silicon valley bullshit like this this is a technology industry problem i mean it's actually i mean it's a capitalist industry problem but but, but more acutely it is a information technologies problem yeah i mean because there was so much in this i mean the the whole juvenile like fucking like i said frat, frat boy culture yeah that's mm-hmm. very much gamer industry stuff but but a lot of this stuff, especially the stuff about HR, you know, being a huge rat, just reminded me of the story we covered a while ago about workers at Google who would, you know, go to HR and be like, you know, I've been experiencing discrimination either based on, you know, race or, or right. go gender. To therapy. And they're like, oh, hey, do you need to take some mental health time? And it's like weaponizing the concept yeah. of mental health. Do you need to sit people? in the mental health box, the Amazon Zen booth? We promise how would you it like instantly to, vaporize you. How would you like you? to go into unpaid work and just uh, and just leave? You know, like that's what that's what that means. Yeah. So like, and and obviously, like you mentioned, like this morning they announced that the president of Blizzard, J. Allen Brack, is is stepping down, and like okay, but again, like as you said, like that one person isn't going to solve this, and it's been really encouraging to see you know this this level of of you know, rank and file upsurge from the workers at at Blizzard and the solidarity that's been coming from around the industry. And I know there have been attempts over the last several years to try and get organizing for unions going in in the game industry, but uh, never been a better time, folks. Like, uh, uh, there there's some calls in that Ubisoft letter specifically that where they, they talk about, we need to have, you know, a, a third party 
for to set standards throughout the industry to prevent this from happening. I'm like, you know who that third party should be? Should be the workers. It should be, it should be a union. Well, and their yeah. demands through through their protests were about a seat at the table and discussing these things. Though it wasn't necessarily like we should be dictating all workplace practices, like like right. what they, their demands should have should have been. And like, and I don't remember. I I didn't see it in the resources that we had pulled, but I did hear when someone was talking about this that there were there were people who were the workers who said oh we're not trying to form a union here we're just trying to get this addressed and that's kind of disappointing to me and and yeah. i mean i maybe i'm wrong i'd be happy i to, mean to... that's that's just part of the environment right like gaming the gaming and tech industry that it that it's a t- that the gaming industry is attached to are noxiously anti-union and i bet yes. a lot of these people from some kind of workplace experience know that like at least at first, you have to be like, hey, we're not trying to have a union here. We just need a couple of things changed. Yeah, pull a Fidel. Yeah, I mean, especially, <laughs> I mean, you got to think, like, working for Blizzard is probably an environment where people are still saying, I'm Pickle Rick to each other, and it's not <laughs> ironic or sarcastic. Yeah. They just still think that's a really funny episode of Rick and Morty. Yeah, like, I, I know that, you know, forming a union is not, you know, the easiest thing in the world, of course. It, they, every call, the cards are stacked against you. And and to, to what you were talking about, I know I've talked on here before about the culture that is inculcated into in STEM fields, especially in the education mm-hmm. system, that is, it, like, even more so than the rest of, like, bourgeois culture is, like, hyper-individualistic. And, and they really drive this whole idea of the meritocracy into you and, and, and to, to try and do everything possible to prevent any sort of solidarity and, and, and to, to try and keep people from organizing. But like, I don't know, like we got workers at Voodoo Donuts who, you know, were could were threatened with being fired illegally. <laughs> For obvious horrible work conditions, who who are you know in a much more precarious position, and those folks are able to be like, you know, fuck this, we need a union. So like, I know it's tough, and hopefully this shit's all happening in the background, and that's why we're not hearing about it because you know it's a big industry. There's a lot of people to organize. You got to do a lot of work in the background mm-hmm. to get this shit to work. But like, uh, we see workers in far more precarious situations across the country. There are to... farm farm workers unions. They're literally yeah. illegal. And <laughs> there are farm so, workers unions. Like I would argue the biggest problem we have here is fighting, you know, that false consciousness that is in it is inculcated by that on like horrifically individualistic STEM culture. Because like not everybody this is the reason they tell everybody to learn to code because not a ton of people know how to code. So that's why, you know, they have to pay decent salaries for a lot of these jobs. And so like workers, you can withhold your labor and get what you need. So mm-hmm. uh, I I'm, I hope all these things are going on in the background. But I think it, this sort of thing is just demonstrating that it is it is beyond past the time that that workers in this industry desperately need an actual you know formal like union. That's right to to bargain through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about a formal union, one that just arrived. You know, oh, at, yeah. at at uh, Dr Pepper Keurig in Monsanto. Uh, or whatever you want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah. So this uh, is it. This past Friday, uh, it was the twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this past so Friday. last week. Yeah, uh, uh, Dr Pepper workers in Victoryville, Victorville, California. Victorville. <laughs> I was just, I was thinking of Victor. I was thinking, oh yeah, whatever. Uh, they voted. 
129 to 112 to get their union. Uh, it's a total of uh, is it, this is was it 266 workers that voted or was it because I think that I felt like there was more workers that were included in the union than voted. There, um, there are more workers at the plant, but this group of workers, this 266 workers, are now set to join the Teamsters, oh, specifically yeah. right. local 896. Yeah. Well, that that's this this is great. Uh, I mean, any it, we're just kind of ending the episode on a more positive note because we've yeah. I'm I'm almost I'm almost like tired from all of the really stressful <laughs> things that yeah. we've been covering. And this is really great. I mean, it does only cover workers from uh, full and part time hourly employees in the warehouse, quality control, production, and maintenance roles. So, like Dan was saying, like there are plenty of people who work at a Keurig Dr Pepper plant who are not going to be uh, covered by this. But it was noted that like it, this was seen as a really big victory, especially by the Teamsters who helped organize it, because like they needed to win this to essentially put the fear of God into other Keurig Dr. Pepper plants and get a foothold in the union organizing kind of uh, schema like environment of, of this industry in California. Yeah, and like this is part of a broad. It seems like a broader campaign that has been mm-hmm. ex- like slowly expanding throughout California, where the Teamsters has been able to get in at more and more of these facilities to get more and more you know workers. And it's it's a long, slow, difficult process. Like they mention in here that workers first tried to unionize here back in 2013, uh, not long after they opened, but because of a dispute between the Teamsters and the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers on who would represent which employees that, you know, led to some issues. And of course, all of the standard union busting and captive, all the bullshit that we, you know, we talk about all the time. Like those two things really contributed to problems and, and the, the union drive not working. But uh, as we've seen with, uh, you know, so many of these drives over the last year or so, like, increasingly worse working conditions, worse pay. And then the final straw that broke a lot of people's, you know, backs in this is the, the horrific conditions under COVID right. really re-energized folks to get back in onto the organizing and, and, and led to the, the success here. Like, and, and the thing that I, I really like to hear, cause there's a couple great quotes in here from the, the secretary treasurer of Teamsters local 896, um, uh, Phil Cooper, who said, if the company thinks they're just dealing with Victorville with this, they have a huge surprise coming their way. This is too important to every other Keurig Dr. Pepper facility in California to not get a good contract for these people. There's a Keurig Dr. Pepper facility three blocks from my house. I hope that they are part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they have to start in California, but I was thinking about the one that we have here in Michigan, uh, not too far from us. And uh, like this is this is an industry that is spread out across the entire United States. They have major, um, you know, logistical uh, networks and influence over the way goods are transferred across the country. So I know people don't really think about like a soda company being in a particularly important node of industry. But in the United States, you might be fucking surprised. I mean, with all the yeah. atrocities, the oh, Coca-Cola yeah. Corporation. Yeah, has I was gonna say, have you ever heard of the Coca-Cola Corporation? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah and so there was a there's some quotes in here also from like you know one of the workers there uh adan soto who's a material handler at the facility who mentioned uh, was talking about some of the conditions there he said it was right before covid hit where a lot of us were being worked a lot of hours 12 hour shifts uh seven days a week um a lot of us started trying to organize and say 
look, what can we do to let the company know, you know, this is serious. We're not standing for this anymore. And one of the things that he specifically pointed out as one of the flashpoints for a lot of the workers there was it early on in the pandemic when the company was, you know, making policy changes to try and deal with it? They had been holding these town halls and, and telling, having employees sign consent forms saying, hey, we're making these policy changes. Just sign this to acknowledge that you know that we told you about <laughs> it. But then as the pandemic continued, the company just decided to stop doing that and said, ah, this is too much trouble. And then started writing people up for violating policies that they were never told had been changed. And, and so they had a quote in here from Soto who said, quote, now when the changes were made, we're like, wait a minute, where's the paper to show that you explain this to me? Right. And so that was, that was one of the big things that really, really drove folks to, to decide that, hey, you know, we really do need a union so that we actually have some way to hold the company accountable here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and they also said that the company brought in a bunch of union busters organizing impromptu meetings and loitering around the fucking hallways, uh, dissuading workers from the idea of unionizing, referencing union required fees and saying the union can't guarantee them job improvements, which is like, yeah, the union can't guarantee you job improvements, but it's a way, you know, it's a it's a much better gamble than trying to deal with the company directly. Yeah, and you know it can do that is the a rank and file union. Maybe not a union right. in general, but your fighting with your coworkers collectively will improve your work conditions whether it runs that plant into the ground or you all end up with raises. No yeah, matter well, what, the Teamsters, work conditions will increase. Yeah, well, and the Teamsters have said they're going to have uh, deep rank and file involvement in the bargaining process. Quote, we'll have a very large negotiation committee, and these rank-and-file workers are the subject matter experts. This is Cooper again. I'm going to help them get their first contract, but they're going to tell us what they want, and if the company tells us something and we turn around to ask if that's true, they can call bullshit, which is, like, really, really important. And we've said many times on the show, whether you're talking about, like, a union or any other kind of worker organization, the most important thing is to have the direct rank-and-file involvement in in the decision making process because they're the ones who face yeah. the conditions every single day. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and that was like, I know, like it's one of those things where you know they get excited. I just got done saying, you know, don't listen to talk, listen to material action. But like this is exactly the sort of shit that I want to be hearing, and we'll definitely want to keep track of this to see how the negotiating process goes because as cooper continually said it's going to be a struggle i personally believe we're going to have to leverage this negotiation he said that if dr pepper attempts to quote to, to give us a bad contract and never get it voted in that a broader teamster strike could result putting the company quote Ooh. in danger of having the whole of southern california shut down wouldn't that be something and that's that's what i want to hear out of a union rep i don't none of this like we're going to work to, you know, have the best interests of both the workers and the company. No, fuck that. Those things are in direct opposition. It should be this exact sort of stuff. Like, you're going to give these workers the contract they fucking deserve for making you all the profits that you're making off of this. Or right. we're going to shut the goddamn state down. <laughs> exactly. Right. This is another great example of how, like, old-timey depictions of, like, really stringent and hardline union guys are honestly goals. Like, when you see some old TV show and some longshoreman is like... Look Look, pal, you're going to give us an extra dollar an hour or the whole eastern seaboard's going out of business. Like, that's the fucking energy that gets shit done. That's how you get yeah. your dollar an hour or your better contract or your overtime pay or your health and safety standards or whatever the case may be. Pensions, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
yeah, so so big ups to these workers for for organizing, and, and we'll definitely keep track on this. But like, that's that's exactly the sort of shit that that we need to hear more of uh, yeah. from from our big unions. So good luck with the Teamsters on that big effort. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So in the meme review, we actually have a follow up on what we'd like to hear from unions, which is this <laughs> first meme right here. Oh yeah, uh, which I've actually posted in a couple uh, threads where I was either dunking on some reactionaries or just trying to make sure that everybody has access to this amazing meme, which is so elegantly formatted. It's, it's seriously pretty slick like a meme. Yeah, it's it's got a real like uh, I I don't even know how it's like um. Like a 1920s graphic yeah, design is my passion yeah. kind of aesthetic to it, yeah. Um, and basically it's like a banner with a little picture in there and a bunch of nice text. It's like, all landlords are parasites. This is true. Uh, housing is a basic human right. Eviction is murder. Landlords are, legal, are a legalized mafia. And rent is a protection fee. Rent is theft, domination, injustice, abolish property. You know, I, I wish that I could really get across to you the way that, that how cool this looks um, in, in like, <laughs> just a image description. So there's also, like, a, a little uh, photo of, I mean, what is this photo in the bottom left-hand corner? I mean, they got to get in the Discord if they want to see the images. The meme review seems like it's a fun decompression zone, but it's really a trap. To sucker you into joining the Discord. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, th- and this is partially coming up not only because like this is a really great meme, but because of the eviction moratorium that's been lifted, and uh, because of the right. housing crisis. I don't know if you've seen. I've seen six different uh, people going at, like putting out there that they either know someone or or have are th- they themselves need direct assistance right now. The, this is the time that we need to be doing mutual aid. We sh- like and and we should have been doing tenant organizing, and we can still do tenant organizing. But like this is an emergency. Uh, it was an emergency, and now even more so, it is. Um, the state's not going to do anything about it. Right. Yeah, like. Uh, the, one of the orgs that I work with, like we've been doing, uh, outreach to, with houseless folks for the past, uh, I think we're going on three years now and throughout the pandemic, it's been really shocking, um, just to see out there week after week that there's more and more and more and more folks that are outside and, and, and need assistance. And that's before the eviction moratorium went up on, on Saturday. And, and that was another reason like so, like this is just going to keep getting worse. And that was another reason, like I wanted to mention that shit in the previous in the article when I was talking about how easy it is for Congress to move on this stuff if they actually want to. Yeah, uh, which kind of leads leads yeah. into our well, next meme here. Yeah, and I and I want to say one more thing about the the COVID crisis is that people will spread COVID more when they are unhoused. Like that, yes. that it is actually a, another way that the state is purposefully perpetuating this crisis. I mean, you can blame like people that you think are ignorant or backwards as much as you want, or, and wishing death upon them is absolutely disgusting. Because, like, look at this. This is an option. The state could be doing anything to help reduce this as a problem to make it so that less people die. And I, I mean, I don't want to get way no. too deep in that 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 argument. 
because but the, the state the state loves criminalizing these people because then it can either justify letting them die which essentially serves as like an economic warning to the rest of the country to get in line and go to work but or alternatively criminalize them and then simply arrest them for loitering or prostitution or theft right. or whatever ridiculous fucking charge you know whether it's trumped up or whether it's just something that they were forced by their situation to do and then they become part of the prison population part of the right. new army of slave labor in the united states right like these are the wor- these are working people these are these people are are the people that like if you made a post that you don't care if people die these are those people just want to point that out yeah and i mean there have been studies that even that, that just the early stages of the pandemic when there was no eviction moratorium that and i think this estimate is probably very low but there even this this academic estimate that at least 10,000 people died unnecessarily during this pandemic. And by the way, almost every single COVID death was, you know, easily preventable if, mm-hmm. if we had put in better uh, actual, you know, measures to stop the spread. But that at least 10,000 of those deaths were directly caused by people being evicted because there was no moratorium in place. And it's going to only, that's going to be like 10 times worse now because that was, you know, when people you know, we're still trying to scrape together whatever savings they have. So there was no big mass eviction going on, but we now have millions of people who are at risk for this. And like you're saying, like it thought the, the, you know, this new height in a lot of places of the pandemic. And it's really the both parties basically saying, yeah, no, that's fine. We don't care. Right. I guess this next meme is that with the Nancy Pelosi action figure, and basically yeah. is like it looks like this is a teenage stepdad meme almost certainly yeah. because it's so well it produced uh and it's just new defenders of the status quo you didn't seriously expect the democratic party to fight for the working class did you and it's just this ad for what is, i'm guessing there's joe yeah joe biden is grandpa joe biden with a little walker and i wonder where like this, these action figure <laughs> photos are actually really great <laughs> Great girl boss Nancy Pelosi and the funniest one Chuck the Cuck Schumer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the little subheading uh, like LMAO, we're gonna do what we always do: fuck you over and bail out the rich. What the fuck are you gonna do about it? Riot. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. definitely not telling people to riot, but also you know, I mean, yeah, there's only so much. It's that, the voice you know, of the unheard. I'm just gonna <laughs> let you know they're not listening to you. Yeah. Uh, in so, the next <laughs> yeah no were you gonna say something yeah no i was just gonna just like i i first off teenage stepdad memes in general are always great like he, he does such it's incredibly high quality stuff but like i just i mean i think our we're probably you know speaking into a bit of an echo chamber with our, our audience but like this is like I would hope that this first year is illustrative, even to people who have been, you know, relatively reformist, like we need to work within the system. Like there are a couple of people, you know, pressing the issue. I know Cory Bush specifically in Congress has been, you know, doing like a sit in on the steps of the Capitol, but like the 99% of the people aren't doing anything about this and they're not going to, because like they said in there, like these parties are captured by the landlord interests, like, you know, BlackRock Capital Group. Right. That, it completely funds their campaign. So why would they do anything to stop the, the evictions? And, yeah. and I guess, you know, we get into that in the nature of the state stuff, but it's, this is fuck. Stop voting for Democrats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of structurally analyzing people's positions and wondering what their motivations are, we have a great 
Cheem's meme about being in bands. This hits pretty close to home for me because before I was uh, an le epic internet podcaster, <laughs> I was le epic local DIY drummer. And uh, <laughs> it has four Cheems in a band. You know, they're, they're holding the, the standard rock instruments. It says, how much does the gig pay? And then the promoter Cheems is like, well, it doesn't actually pay, but it'll be great exposure for you guys. <laughs> and then it, you see the uh, the two Cheems holding guitars bonking the manager Cheems right on the head, <laughs> which you can't do. You, if, if a promoter tells you they're not going to pay you for the show, uh, unfortunately, you don't have yeah, the recourse to beat them up. You, yeah, you cannot hit them in the head. Like, hit them no. in a softer spot where they won't end up really going <laughs> to the hospital. Yeah, a, a sack of oranges doesn't leave any bruises. Uh, but, like, you no, know, you can't hurt them. But you should try and hurt their business model and spread the word. I remember being in... DIY bands and having people post these multiple paragraph long posts that are like, hey, don't work with such and such production company. Don't enter into such and such battle of the bands. Don't do this. Don't do that. Highlighting bad business practices. And uh, there should be better resources for her for calling out people who are exploitative in the arts than just like being linked into a local Facebook community well enough to see the post. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, this isn't 100% relevant to what we normally talk about on the show, but like well, the situation for people who are trying to make even just a little bit of side money, uh, being a professional or semi-professional artist is dismal. And those opportunities are, are mostly gone. Well, and if you don't mind a little bit more of a talky podcast, because, uh, uh, you know, I guess we try to stay on the, on the topic, but, um, art and labor is a is a good podcast mm -hmm. that covers um art industry and and labor conditions and things like that um i like a lot of their episodes i their intros are long but that's they're still good <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah no i've listened to a couple of them their 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 podcast is good yeah um, and then this next one isn't really necessarily a labor meme but i I just this was, was from yeah, the page. I, this was from the page. Memes so dank and dark that they return to normal. <laughs> <laughs> and That's so a great page. I've seen is, that around. There's a there's a cop here giving a guy a ticket or, or like you know taking down some information, and he's sitting at the wheel of his car. And and then it's just captioned, "Cop, whose car is this? Where are you headed? What do you do?" And then it's just minor, mine. Right, <laughs> implying that it Which, is his car. He's heading to the mine, and he's going to mine. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, he is a miner. Yes. Which, which is also it just reminds me of one of my favorite Harvey Birdman jokes, where they've got the he's asking the question, and the dog is like, "Please state your uh, name, race, and <laughs> occupation." And just, lizard man. <laughs> lizard man. <laughs> lizard man. Lizard man. Lizard <laughs> man. But that's right. That's a great one. Part of the reason I wanted to bring this one in is is just an opportunity to mention that, like, real quick, because I don't. There's no new real information on this, but the UMWA Warrior Met my coal miners are still on strike. That's um, right, and they and, and they went they, and protested in New York. Did we cover that they went to, up and protested in New York? No, I was just gonna I was just gonna mention that that they were protesting in front of I think BlackRock because I think BlackRock yeah, is that's the right. co company that that owns the you know the biggest investor in 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 that mine. And like, I just wanted to, you know, throw some kudos out there to the miners for continuing to be on strike and hold the line for months. And, and, uh, they, I know they do have a strike fund that I think I've posted in the, 
in the discord before yeah if you need it we'll 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 find it again if you can't find it uh just hit us up in the discord now this last one oh my gosh it is (laughs) this is a starbucks meme and you know how much we love starbucks here (laughs) yeah it's just this this upside down car on fire with a cheebs in the in a uh in a starbucks kind of uh, hat and apron and the text the tops text is boss be like and then the bottom text is you still coming in right like yeah this it, i cannot like i literally got written up because i could not find anyone to work my shift they made me when i was sick call every single store in the yep. entire region in order to too. get that to make that get that shit covered and i and then everybody's like nope can't do it can't do it can't do it can't do it and then they say well if you can't get someone to cover then technically you're allowed to call off but we would really like it if you would come in when i am fucking yeah. sick like i yeah that's i yeah. i hate starbucks so much i mean uh, <laughs> terrible I, I fell off my I fell off my bike, uh, biking into work one day, and I I slipped on a on a wet curb, and I landed pretty hard. I opened about a nickel sized, pretty damn deep hole in my elbow, uh, and I was like, "Hey, I really need to go to urgent care." And they were like, mm, "How about you work your shift?" And now I have a fucking bone spur in my elbow for the rest Oof. of my life, or wow. until I'm rich enough to have uh, surgery to get rid of something that's non life threatening. Hooray! So yeah. fuck you, Starbucks. Fuck you forever. Fuck each and every one of your managers. Uh, I am not coming into work today. I'm glad I stole all that milk and pastries from you. Fuck you. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, I think I think I lost one of their sets of keys. Uh, like right. Um, <laughs> like and because I just don't. I don't ever remember handing them back in. Uh, and and I just don't know where they are because I don't have them in my new house. So if you ever found those keys. Just know that there's. It's really actually they put all the money in the safe, and uh, you know it's it's pretty hard to steal anything <laughs> yeah. from there at night. Just want steal to the display <laughs> racks. I use them as bookshelves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, uh, want to thank you for listening, and if you're a patron, we want to thank you for supporting us because we are an entirely listener-supported show. Uh, if you want to catch some of our overtime episodes, we're doing a couple on the nature of the state, and then I will be doing my ones on no shortcuts and and a. Couple couple and other I have one topics up, soon i have one coming up on staunton lynn's labor law for the rank and filer which i'm about halfway through getting my notes together on so that That's should be on the horizon as well very exciting and uh additionally you know share our uh podcast with your friends to, uh, especially if there's a particular story that you want to get you know get out there you know say hey you know skip to this part i don't care if you tell them to only listen to 10 minutes of the podcast or anything like that you know these some of these stories are really important and affect people in really important ways uh follow john on uh twitter at facebook villain we actually oh we have a twitter now uh which is yeah. work stoppage pod so so go ahead and like us on twitter because uh uh, we're gonna be posting stuff there, I guess, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you yeah, know, I've been posting a little bit on there. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, yep, uh, and then you know, listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, listen to Red Game Table, and we'll see you next time. Again, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity, solidarity. Coasters in the night, tears rolled down. Another sad clown sitting in the room. That's when tears brought to you, you really love me. No. Coast is in the night. Tears rolled down. Another sad clown sitting in the room.
Make me itch. 